Welcome to another edition of the APF podcast series. My name is Musun Layode and I serve as the executive director at APF. Today, we are featuring another member of APF, the Sawiris Foundation for Social Development. And we're going to be speaking with the executive director, Nora Selim, whom I totally admire and I'm looking forward to meeting in person. Welcome, Nora. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll start by asking you, what inspired the founding of this foundation? And I'm particularly interested in why the foundation chose specific areas of focus, like economic empowerment, social development, and education. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, so perhaps first to introduce Sawir's Foundation for Social Development. So the foundation is a private family foundation. It's a grant-making foundation that was founded in Egypt 20 years ago. And I think the goal, perhaps now there are a number of family foundation, corporate foundations, you know, NGOs in general in Egypt, around 55,000 registered NGOs in Egypt operating in the country. But back then, I would say 20 years ago, it wasn't that common for a family to start a foundation. And really, I think the emphasis behind it is that, you know, giving, I think, is something that has always been in our part of the world. I'm sure in Africa, in the Middle East, it's very much part of the culture. But professional philanthropy per se, not just charity, I think 20 years ago was not so common. But the Sabiris family, I think being business people, wanted to also manage their giving in a similar way as they manage their business. You know, so they thought, why don't we actually start a family foundation that professionalizes all our charitable givings, looks at our giving beyond, you know, handouts and charity, not that charity doesn't have a role, but really to think through how can we make this sustainable? How can we make our philanthropy more impactful? And how can we more efficiently manage our resources? So I think that was really the drive behind it. Um, and, and, and I think that's what they've really sought out to achieve over the years, how to make the philanthropy, you know, efficient, effective, impactful, how to be transparent about the work that they do and how to always push on how can we maximize impact. And I would say, you know, on, on your question as to the areas of work. So obviously I think for them, the first choice was, you know, do we want to be a grant making foundation or do we want to be an implementing foundation? And if we look at the scene in Egypt, and again, I think largely in Africa and the Middle East, perhaps there's a lot of implementing NGOs reliant on foreign funding, a lot of official development assistance that comes into the country, a lot of international foundations. And so they saw that there is perhaps a greater need for a local funder versus a local implementer. And I would say even to date, Sawiris Foundation is one of the very few local grant-making foundations, uh, whereas we have a lot of local implementing NGOs. And then, you know, what to focus on came next. So we will be a grant-making foundation, but then what do we do, right? Where are we going to channel our funding? Where do we want to have impact? And looking at the dynamics in Egypt and the demographics, it's a very young country, as I think a lot of, you know, Africa, Middle East, very, very young lots of unemployment, lots of poverty. And so I think in, in, in the goal of being sustainable with their giving, they wanted to move from charity to how can we economically empower individuals? How can we perhaps you know, train them, perhaps support them through microloans, through grants to start businesses, so that even when we walk away, which I think is always the challenge of philanthropy, even when the funding stops, which it always does at some point, how can these individuals really continue, sustain, benefit, bring them out of poverty? 
And so very much linked to economic empowerment was education, right? Because I think that education really is a means to an end. It's a means for people to be empowered socially, but also then have better opportunities in terms of, you know, being able to be, get jobs, being able to start their own businesses. Fantastic. Awesome. You know, one of the things I love about your foundation is the fact that you're grant making and you're one of the very few that are grant making on the continent. And that's challenging for a lot of nonprofits that are really seeking local funding, you know, from philanthropists. Um, and it's an area where APF is strongly working with philanthropists within our network to see how we can make that transition from you know, being implementers to actually being grant makers. I also understand that there is a reason um, philanthropists choose the channel through which they want to invest in their communities. So I think at this point, I want to shift gears a little bit um, and talk about you. Um, I'm, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a fan um, and I'm really intrigued by your resume, your you know, you went to University of Pennsylvania, Harvard Business School, McKinsey. What informed that transition? You could have stayed in the private sector and earned tons, tons of dollars, but you made that shift into the development sector. I'm interested in knowing why, and did you find any surprises um, when you made that transition? And more importantly, how would you view philanthropy, or how would you say you saw philanthropy being practiced in the global north versus Africa? No, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so I think why, uh, you know, perhaps it's a personal decision, but I think that, you know, a lot of our generation um, is really looking for their work to be both, you know, to allow them to have a career path, but also to allow them to have meaning through their careers. And so I think for me, I realized that, you know, I was very privileged to have had the opportunity to get access to education. I actually got a scholarship from Sawitis Foundation when I was 17 um, to do my undergrad awesome. in the UK. Yeah, so it's so it's a bit of coming back full circle, you know. So it's not completely irrelevant, but but really, you know, I felt incredibly privileged to have had the opportunity to have such a you know such an education um, and such global exposure as well. That I think really, you know, I, I learned a lot from on a personal uh, from a personal standpoint. Um, but ultimately, I think I I really felt that I want you know, the knowledge that I had gained, the experiences that I had gained to have some kind of impact uh, that goes beyond me. I still wanted a career, so I wanted to be in a professional organization. I wanted to feel that I'm learning, that I'm also being challenged, that I can grow um, in a role, but I wanted my work to go beyond, you know, profit making, etc. Not that there's necessarily something wrong with this, but I really wanted to feel that I can, you know, that my work can contribute to impacting lives. And Coming from a country like Egypt, where, you know, there are a lot of social issues and a lot of economic issues around, you know, poverty, uh, reduced quality in education, you grow up and all those things are around you, you grow up and you see communities struggling in poverty, you know, you see refugees that maybe don't have uh, the best circumstances. And so I think it's difficult to uh, ignore that once you've been exposed to it. And then once you've been equipped with skills and you get the opportunity to make this transition, uh, I think it's something that I was very, very excited about. And for me also going back, you know, full circle to uh, a place that granted me that scholarship was very, very, you know, exciting and felt a bit like, you know, uh, karma almost in the world. Uh, no, so that was on your question on why. Surprises, I think for sure, yes. Um, going, moving from private sector to uh, development, um, to philanthropy. 
And I would say that perhaps for me, the 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 good surprise was that it is a huge sector and i don't think i realized being outside of it how massive it is massive in terms of funds that are flowing when you look at all the funding that's coming into development from again sort of if you consider oda if you consider multilaterals bilaterals private funding etc it is huge the number of players the complexity of the system um, so i think i didn't realize that it was this you know convoluted but also this big um, and so that was very exciting. But on the other side, I think I was also surprised at how the sector doesn't hold itself to perhaps as rigorous standards as you see in the private sector. So in the private sector, there's no such thing as, you know, I'm not going to publish all my results and financials or that I'm not going to measure, you know, exactly where every dollar is spent. And so moving to philanthropy, and again, particularly in our part of the world, I felt that you know, a lot of organizations are not necessarily transparent and are not required to be fully transparent per se. And so I think there's still a lot of opportunity for the sector to really, again, professionalize, uh, become a lot more accountable, measure a lot more and operate in a much more, let's say, scientific, uh, scientific way. And I think that is the, the, the discrepancy, perhaps a little bit between Global North and, you know, Africa, Middle East and philanthropy. But still, I think even the global north in development is not yet, you know, where I think we all should be in terms of being more rigorous, more transparent, more accountable um, with the work that we do in development. So perhaps we are a little bit behind, but I still think that, you know, the global north on development is not the same. The gap between the global north and Africa, Middle East on development is definitely a smaller gap versus perhaps, you know, other private sector uh, opportunities. Great. Thanks for sharing. And I like the fact that you shed light on the need for us to be more professional and strategic in, in our practice of philanthropy on the continent. And that's why we're here actually as African Philanthropy Forum. We always say that giving is not new to us on the continent. It's really strategic philanthropy and, you know, just being more accountable and being targeted, being committed to measuring impact and being accountable and transparent, those are important areas of focus. And it's it's great to know that more and more philanthropists and foundations are moving in that direction. And also great to know that the gap isn't um, so wide, even if we have a lot more ground to cover on the continent. So I'll come back to you know, the foundation. I know that partnership for impact is really central to what you do. So I'm interested and curious um, to know how well strategic partnerships have worked for you. Um, what have you achieved through partnerships that you otherwise wouldn't have? And what have you learned in the process of what would you do differently when you're entering into new partnerships? Sure. Um, so yeah, I think partnerships have really, really been fundamental uh, for us as an organization. Fundamental in terms of you know, our ability to go to scale, our ability to further our impact, and our ability to innovate and learn. And so I would start by saying that I think in development, and you know, we operate exclusively in Egypt, everyone is basically working on the same topics, right? Because the problems are very well known, right? So we're dealing with a lot of youth unemployment, we're dealing with low quality education. So most development actors and government are working on the same issues. So if you don't partner, one, you have a bit of a coordination problem because you are not necessarily so familiar with what everyone is doing. And so you may be able to do exactly what you know, X, Y, Z is trying to do. 
but you're not benefiting from, and you're not, you know, you're not leveraging synergies, you're not benefiting from learnings, you're not coordinating, you're not co-organizing. And so I think when we've started to partner more, it has allowed us and our partners to coordinate our efforts much, much more to reduce duplicity and to really increase synergies. So that's the first big benefit that I think was very, you know, very tangible that we observed. The second is, as you mentioned, impact and scale, right? At the end of the day, you know, we are a drop in the ocean. We are one family foundation. But, you know, when you partner with, you know, big multilaterals, which we do other private foundations, government especially, you're really able to get to a scale that you would never be able to, you know, on your own. And I was very excited to see that partnerships in itself was one of the sustainable development goals because I think that putting this on, on the agenda has encouraged a lot of players to see partnerships as a goal for them and so they were more open for um, partnerships. Third, and I think this is also huge, is learning, right? I mean, no one is good at everything, right? So I think for us as a foundation, I see that we definitely have, you know, a big strength in terms of understanding the local con context, being an Egyptian, you know, foundation that's been operational for 20 years, as well as, you know, a strong base on measurement and evidence. Um, but we, we are not the best innovator, for example, right? And so I think, you know, when we partnered with other institutions that were much stronger on innovation, there were impacts that we would never have, you know, or design elements that we would never have been able to do alone, or partners that had greater reach into communities than, you know, we, that we didn't. Um, and so again, there's, there's a lot of learning um, and a lot of strength in your partners that you leverage to sort of complement your existing strength and to make up for, you know, whatever you may not be, uh, may, you may not be as, as, as good in. Um, and I think with partnerships that, that I really don't see any downside, it's a mindset. And I think that for us, we believe, you know, or we know that when you partner, perhaps you move a little bit slower, but you move further and right. finding partners that, you know, share similar missions, similar values, I think has, has been, you know, what has allowed us to be successful in the partnerships that we have had. Synergy, impacts and skill, as well as learning. And I like the fact that you, you said, you know, you may move slower, but you move further. And that speaks to one of my favorite African quotes, um, which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's great to hear that you're practicing that. So um, let's talk about one of your focus areas, which is economic empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one area that has, you know, with the pandemic in the past couple of years, where basically entering the third year now, there have been severe economic implications for Africans. How would you say your strategy has changed since the pandemic? And if we look at the most vulnerable in our environment, if we're looking at women and girls and even youth, given that we have a high unemployment rate for young people, how are you working in the foundation to ensure that this segment of the society are sustainably engaged? Yes. No, that's, that's a great question because I think that the pandemic, you know, really, really threw us all in a very, um, you know, challenging space because all of a sudden, you know, you're operating in a certain way as a foundation, you know, we're, we're trying to be very professional. So we have our strategy, we have our work plans, we have our action plans, and all of a sudden, you know, it's all irrelevant. And, and so I think the first thing was really the need to be flexible. I think that 
in a pandemic, the only way to really serve as a foundation and as NGOs is to remember your ultimate mission, which is at the end of the day for us, you know, it's reducing poverty um, and perhaps be less stuck on the ways. So maybe pre-pandemic, you know, training for employment was the method by which we aim to reduce poverty, but that has become irrelevant when you couldn't, you know, reach people or where there aren't physical gatherings. And so for us, we actually quickly decided that we would shift to more humanitarian work, which we don't really necessarily do, more crisis relief, uh, things that looked much more like charity versus our normal development work. And, and I think that was totally fine and made sense. And I'm happy that our board supported such a move because at the time in Egypt, a lot of the vulnerable communities, what they needed was, you know, cash transfers. Right. There's a huge informality in work in Egypt. So, you know, the majority of people that are sort of at poverty line, slightly above poverty line, work in the informal sector, which, you know, basically all stopped. And it's daily work. It's reliant on daily wages. Yeah. So had they not gotten these cash transfers, you know, they would not be able to have food or pay rent, et cetera, et cetera. And, and even now that the pandemic, you know, we've been living with it for a long time, we've shifted back to a lot of our programming, but I think we shifted back to our programming plus some more, let's say, leeway or humanitarian angle. So how can I, you know, as I train this family, I provide them with, you know, some cash transfers and I start a savings program so that they have some buffer until the time that they are, you know, trained, employed, etc. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, the needs in development are complex and, and it's difficult to separate, you know, when you go into a family and you say, I'm just gonna, you know, train you for a job, but then you realize there's a health crisis and there's this and there's that. So a lot of times I think that the pandemic has perhaps pushed us to be a bit more integrated in the way we work um, and less siloed as programs. Right, interesting. In the early days of, of the pandemic, I think we really looked at the amazing work that was going on in North Africa, in Egypt and Morocco in particular. And we used those as examples in, in some of our webinars and meetings. And so Good news, your 20 years. I think this is your 21st year. I think you turned 20 last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you are correct. 20 years, it's a long time to run a foundation and to, to run it sustainably. And so I would want to know, not just me, our, our listeners, other members of our network who want to know, looking back, what would you say your biggest achievements are and what got you there? Hmm. So I think it's, you know, it, it would sort of be ingenuine to talk about achievements without talking about impact, because I think that, you know, the biggest achievement needs to always be when you're a philanthropic player, what achievement have you made in the lives of others that you serve, because this is why we were founded. And so I think that I'm particularly happy when we look at one, our reach, that we have been able to reach those in, you know, the most challenging, most impoverished communities in Egypt, uh, which mainly means that the majority of our work happens outside of Cairo. Um, so that's one thing. And then I think is that for, you know, many of the people that we've worked, at least in the interim where we have been measuring, which I would say has been the last five years, we've always been sort of measuring some outcomes, but where we became a lot more rigorous is the last five years. And we ran two big randomized control trials with Abdel Latif Jamil Action Lab, and their results were really profound. 
particularly on the impact for women. And so when I think about our biggest achievement, I would say it's the impact that we've been able to have in the lives of you know, those that we serve in the fact that you know, they had increased their incomes, increased the consumption of their families, um, and increased their general well-being. So that would be number one. And then the second thing related to that is I'm particularly very, very proud of the significant investments in terms of, you know, not just money, but time, uh, analyzing data, building evidence, rigorously measurement, partnering with researchers globally, um, encouraging the philanthropic sector that we operate in in Egypt to take, you know, um, evidence very seriously, to see development as a science, um, to back, you know, programs that have proven to work versus relying on, you know, good intentions and this looks nice and which, you know, I think is how a lot of philanthropy uh, tends to run and, you know, while intentions and good intentions are good, they don't necessarily always drive impact. And so we have established a learning and strategy department. We have a great team that is very knowledgeable on, you know, how do you measure impact in development, which is very complex, right? Because I think that, you know, measuring uh, changes in human lives and really measuring the impact that a certain program has on a family is something that is quite complicated, particularly if you want to, you know, prove that this is a result of your program. And so I would say this is the second thing that we are very proud of. And finally, I would say partnerships, which we talked about, um, so I you know, won't dwell further on it, but I'm very happy that it's now in the DNA of Sawira's foundation to never work alone. Um, and so we really, whatever we do, we look for the right partners, and we always want to work in partnership with basically everyone, right? <laughs> so whether you're an NGO, you're a bilateral, you're multilateral, you're a government, you know, if we can align our agendas and pull our resources and work together, that's, that's what we aim to do at the foundation. So what do we expect in the coming years? 20 gone, what should we look forward to? Lots of work. <laughs> there's still plenty, plenty of work. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think in Egypt, you know, there's been, we've gone through a lot when you look at the context. I mean, I think the continent as a whole, uh, you know, goes, always goes through a lot of things. There's a lot of turbulence, but, you know, in Egypt, you know, you had the revolution and then you had huge, you know, economic repercussions. You had the significant economic reform, devaluation of the currency, you know, we went through a lot and then COVID. And so as soon as we started to recover, um, you know, the whole world was hit by COVID. And so I think that this pushed people, even as they were getting out of poverty, back to poverty. And so put a lot of uh, responsibility on us as a sector. So I think that we expect that the foundations work to grow over the next years. Uh, to become more and more professional, more and more evidence-based. And I would really hope that particularly on the areas that we have adopted in education, in economic empowerment, that we're really able to, you know, make a dent in people, like a, a good dent in people's lives, like improve people's lives, and that we come up with um, stories, publications, and evidence from the region. Because again, I think that, you know, a lot of development happens um, in our countries but not a lot of our development stories get told globally. And so I would love for our contributions that we're doing now in terms of you know, knowledge production and knowledge sharing um, to be able to you know, be on the global um, scene and for people to read and know about what happens in our world that is supported by sufficient evidence to make it uh, credible, basically. Great, APF is here to help facilitate that. Any plans to work outside of Egypt? So not right now. I think that, you know, the 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 Sawiris family sort of being an Egyptian family and 
Egypt being poor and sort of in more poverty as a result of, you know, COVID and uh, the context that I had just explained. So I think for now, we see that there's still such a huge need in Egypt and that we're still, you know, even small for, uh, you know, that the work that we do is still smaller than the need. Um, and so I think for now, it's staying in Egypt, but, you know, who knows? Great. Thank you. I think just one more thing um, as we as we wrap up, because I know we're almost out of time. You have been around for 20 plus years now. Many of the foundations within our network are under five or at best going to 10. What tips would you give to them um, to get them to go the long haul? Hmm. You know, I think resilience is uh, a very important word and characteristic for the kind of work that we do, because it is challenging work. And it is work that I think while is very inspiring, can sometimes also, you know, you can be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the challenge or the magnitude of the poverty, you know, the magnitude of the circumstances. Um, and so I think that being very resilient uh, as individuals in those organizations and as organizations is very important. And then I would say the second, trying to network so that you don't feel that you are alone, so that you don't, you know, just rely on your five years of experience, but that you can tap into experiences of others um, in your parts of the world, outside your parts of the world. I think this has helped us a lot being part of networks, you know, like Arab Foundations Forum, like the African Philanthropy Forum, like WINGS, like the OECD Network of Foundations. It provides you with a basis of like-minded partners. Um, and you can really learn. And at times when you have questions or doubts or challenges, uh, you know, you can tap into your partners and that, get that kind of support needed to go on and needed to go on more effectively. And finally, I would say, you know, investing in really building the basis of the organization. So hiring right, setting up, you know, the right systems for fundraising, having a clear strategy, having a clear story. Um, I know those things are sort of easier said than done, particularly fundraising, but um, I think it's important to start with the view of strategic philanthropy and be very strategic and very professional about the way that, you know, you set up your work and the way that you grow your organization. Thank you so much, Nora. This has been interesting and I'm sure that our listeners are going to find it very useful um, as we navigate this development space on the continent. Thank you. I'm looking forward to working more closely with you. Thank you so much.